hope it doesn't sound like your uh, bedroom there, but uh, oftentimes that's kind of the world's view of intimacy, and that is not God's plan. And so today we're going to take a look at God's plan, and uh, we want to look at uh, intimacy. And I think uh, Daniel has already given you guys kind of a disclaimer. I, go, I told you guys last week we're going to be talking about sex in here, and uh, so if you've got your kids in here and uh, you don't want them to hear it, there's a great children's ministry right over here that does an incredible job, age-appropriate teaching every week. And uh, they would love for your kids to be in there, and your kids would probably have a blast in there. And so uh, we're going to have a blast in here. It's going to be good. So uh, if you guys will, we'll take out your outline and kind of follow along. And uh, we are talking about intimacy. And so there's a passage that we have used uh, kind of throughout this uh, message series, and it's out of John 13:34. It says, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. This is from Christ. This is from Jesus. It says, Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And so Jesus gives a command to love. You know, and so to love each other, to care for each other, to, to minister to each other, to serve one another. And so Jesus modeled this love, this love and putting others and their needs and, and, and even their desires and stuff, putting them out there and saying, hey, listen, man, I, how can I minister? you got guys going, hey, Jesus, I want to be able to see. And he would give them sight. Jesus, I want to be able to walk. And he would, he would heal the lame. And so the cool thing is whenever we look back at Scripture, we see that Jesus was all about ministering to the needs of the people around him. And so there's a statement that we've used as well. It says Christian marriage becomes a submission competition. And so to really have a, a marriage that is a happy marriage, that is a godly marriage, is, is whenever we put our spouse's needs before ours. And we really say, hey, you know, God, I, wanna, I really want to minister to my spouse's needs. Not that it's all about me, but it's about honoring you, God, loving you, God, serving you, God, and then also loving others and serving them. And so when we live with that mentality and we... And we we literally look at our marriage that way. It's powerful. You know, we talked about last week, you know, with our words. Oftentimes our words are powerful. They either build up or they tear down. You know, we speak life or we speak death. And so we have to be wise with our words. Let our words be, be, uh, be words that build up, that encourage, that affirm, especially our spouse. And we said this last week. Oftentimes we'll save our best words for other people. And we will miss out on the opportunity to be a blessing to our spouse and to those around us. And so those that we love the most. So here's the thing. Being intimate means into me see. Intimate means being in, is into me see. Seeing who I am. Accepting who I am. I mean, it's seeing me. So here's the thing. is We're talking about intimacy today. And I know a lot of times what we do is we equate sex and intimacy. They're the same thing. Not necessarily. And we're going to look at that today. But intimacy is seeing me, accepting me. You know, and being able to open up and be transparent about who I am. And so what we do is we, we, we want someone to, to be we want someone to be intimate with them, that we can be open with them, we can be who we are, we can be transparent. And here's the thing that they would accept us and they would even love us as we are. So being intimate is intimacy. Intimacy is defined as showing a close union or combination of particles or elements, an intimate mixture. Now one of the cool things is we are all created in the image of God. Think about that. We are created in the image of God. God literally, He has shaped us, He has molded us, He has put us together. If we were to back up even to the Garden of Eden, you know, He literally would, would shape them out of the dust of the ground and breathe breath into the nostrils. And so the very breath that we breathe, God breathed that into man. And so he, we, we are created in His image. He has, he has brought this mixture together. The body of Christ is a great picture of all these things coming together, this mixture of things, if you will. It's a beautiful thing. And so we literally, in our worship, we hope to be what? We want to be intimate with God. 
We want to be intimate with God that we're, we're literally proclaiming who He is. We're singing songs back to Him. We're talking about how He will literally tear down a wall because of His love for us to get to us. He is, he is pursuing us. He is chasing after us. And one of the cool pictures that we see is, you think about when our praise team was up here just a little bit ago, and they're literally, you've got some people that are using their voices and some are using their, their abilities to play a guitar or drums or whatever it might be. And it's blended together for this beautiful thing that we call a song or a praise song or a worship song. And we're singing it back to God. So it's all these gifts coming together. As the body of Christ, we're a mixture, if you will, of these people with different abilities, different gifts. We had people over here in the cafe that were literally... They were making coffee all morning and serving donuts and, and just have the gift of hospitality. We've got people that are at doors that are saying, hey, welcome to Journey Church. Man, we're so glad you're here this morning. We're excited about today. It's going to be a good day. You know, and so we've got people that are helping you find seats and get chairs out and all that kind of stuff. And what is that? That is a mixture. Of, of the, it's, the body of Christ. it's a mixture of different things that God has brought together for His purposes and for His kingdom. And so when we look at being intimate, there's nobody that knows more about intimacy than God. Nobody knows more about intimacy than God. So being intimate is powerful. So real intimacy, intimacy makes us feel alive. So think about that whenever we're in a, a very powerful worship moment. And we know that God knows who we are. And He knows everything about us. And man, we're able to just worship Him. And here's the thing, celebrate His love for us. Because we know that He knows everything about us, but yet He loves us. He knows everything about me. But yet he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for me. And so therefore, when we worship, man, there's nothing more intimate than our worship with God. And so it becomes powerful. And so intimacy makes us feel alive. Men will have what we call God bumps or chill bumps oftentimes. And so it's powerful. And here's the thing. I believe that God expects us to experience that even in our marriage. Whenever we have someone who we love and they love us. And it's so intimate because they love us as we are. They accept us as we are. They're committed to us, committed to me as I am. So look at the statement here. It says, we were designed to connect. We were designed to connect. Being intimate involves the mixing of our life with one another's, a mingling of souls. That's pretty deep. That's powerful. A sharing of hearts. This is something we all long for because it is how God has made us. And so there's this desire that has been placed within you. There's this passion that has been placed within you. And so the thing is, that comes from God. God created the desire and the passion that is within us. God has put that there. And, and so what we need to understand is we were, we were created for connection. You could say, anatomically, I get that. I mean, if we just look at the bodies, God created a certain way. If you guys have you know, seen any pictures, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. And so here's the thing, is we were created to connect physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And so we're, we're created for that. We're designed, literally God designed us that way, created in God's image. But here's the thing is He said, you know what? There'll be male and female, and they're designed that way. And so it's, it's a beautiful thing within marriage. Now what happens is too often what we do is we have a tainted view of intimacy. And oftentimes our view of intimacy is whatever we've seen on TV, we think that's intimacy. Maybe, you know, or maybe for some of you it's pornography. And you think, oh, that's intimacy. You know, maybe just the act of sex. It's not necessarily intimacy. There's a difference between intimacy and just the act of sex. And so look at this, this picture or this statement here. Uh, Irwin McManus says, Sex can be the most intimate and beautiful expression of love, but we are only lying to ourselves when we act as if sex is proof of love. Too many men demand sex as proof of love. Too many women have given sex in hopes of love. 
We live in a world of users where we abuse each other to dull the pain of aloneness. We all long for intimacy, and physical contact can appear as intimacy at least for a moment. That's a powerful statement. And so here's the thing. There's a lot of us, man, we want intimacy. And so for, for many of us, we think, well, that, that's intimacy. And that's what the world says is intimacy. And that's what, you know, maybe our, our locker room guys said, that's intimacy. But that may be not what God says. God has a different view of what intimacy is. And so what we do is a lot of times we, we, we bring in what the world's pattern is. And we say, hey, th- I'm going to put this in my marriage. And it doesn't work out the best in the world. God's plan is always best. And so God's plan is always the best plan. God's plan is always the best plan. And so whenever we slow down and we say, God, I want what you want. God, I desire what you desire. And, and, and so we can say that, but oftentimes what we have been you know, taught or modeled or whatever has been a certain way. And I, I shared this earlier. For me, you know, growing up, the pattern that I was taught, probably from about the age of 12 to 19, was what the world says is intimacy. It was all about the act of sex. And, and so you look back and you said, that's intimacy. It's, it's this. And then whenever I got saved at the age of 19, and I began to ask God, God, I want you to change the way I think. God, I want you to transform my thinking, my mind. God, I want you to change me. I began to say, God, how do you view sex? God, how do you view intimacy? And so my, my way of thinking, my way of looking at it began to change. And, and so we've got to be willing to say, God, I want you to change because I believe that God's plan is the best plan. And so what we have a tendency to do, though, is we want to equate the world's view with God's view, and they're not, they're not the same. And so for many of us, because of locker room talk or girlfriend talk or because of dirty magazines or either pornography that you've seen or because of what you see on TV, and here's the thing, you know, we live in a sex-saturated culture. I think most of us would agree with that, right? We live in a culture, culture where it is all about sex. Even like on your TV now, if there's a TV show that's going to come out, it's a new series, what they're going to do is they're going to take the steamiest looking scene that they can that shows somebody a certain way, you know, or it looks very provocative, and they're going to use that to promote the TV series. And here's the thing, because we are sight-activated, or either we want intimacy, we, we, we begin to go, that's intimacy, so we will watch that TV show. We don't know what the storyline's about. We don't know anything about that TV show or that TV series or anything else, but because it had this scene in it, we want to see it just to see, hey, what's that scene about? And that's what they do. They call it a what? A teaser, right? They want to tease you with that. And so you watch that teaser or that trailer and you go, man, I want to see what that's about. And and so we live in a sex-saturated society that says, you know what? Sex is what satisfies. But I would say exactly like Dr. Manis says here. McManus, Irwin says, hey, listen, here's the thing is there's people that lay in a bed together. They have sex and they go to sleep, but they're not intimate. They're not connected. They're, they're not all in to the relationship. And so the sex, the, the act of sex, you know, is not what literally brings intimacy. It is a celebration of the intimacy if it's done in God's way. And so when we look at this, it says God's plan is always the best. It says Jesus said, but God made them male and female. From the beginning of creation, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So here's the thing. God has given us this desire, you know, that we're attracted to the opposite sex. There's, there's passions and there's desires that are there, and, man, and they're, they're, they're growing. And here's the thing. You, you go, that's bad. No, no, that's good. God put that in there for a reason. The thing is, is we have to keep them within boundaries. 
And we have to guard against crossing certain lines because God, is, God He wants what is best for you. So look at this next one. It says, sex is for marriage and not before. Sex is for marriage and not before. Now, I know in our culture, it is almost encouraged to at least go try it out. You know, you know, there was a time when being a virgin was a positive thing. Now it's almost like, what is wrong with you? But here's the thing. God's pattern, God's plan is still the best. And, and so, we, we, you know, we often see it, you know, our kids through social media. It's constantly, they're bombarded with, with sexual innuendos and, and things. The other night, Lori was watching, a, she was watching Dancing with Stars, and there was a young lady that was on there, and it said she was a social influencer. And I'm like, what the heck is a social influencer? So I looked it up. And so a social influencer is someone who would literally, you know, she, took, she takes pictures of herself in scantily clad clothes, you know, and in places all over the world. And so the thing is, is she posts whatever she posts, and hopefully I guess she thinks it's going to influence the, the, the social uh, fabric that's out there. And so she's a social influencer, so a lot of people are getting their jobs by getting on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, getting enough followers to get paid, and they become social influencers. Not necessarily the way that God would have them use their influence but here's the thing that's that's what's out there that's what our 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 culture is saturated with our kids our young people are saturated with that it's like hey this is the way you're supposed to do things and so when we look back at that we go sex is for marriage and not before but sex sells like pornography industry is like a multi-billion dollar industry it sells these desires that god has put within us (laughs) within the boundaries of marriage are positive they're beautiful it says sex, it's, look at this, it says sex was designed to create an emotional, spiritual, and physical bond between a husband and wife. It's a bond. And, and it says the two become one in a real way. So, <laughs> excuse me, I don't know if you guys have ever, you know, been married and had a kid, but when Laurie and I got married, we had our oldest son. If we ever got around Laurie's family, they would always talk about how much our oldest son looked like, her, her, like Laurie. And if we ever got around my family, they talked about how much, they, you know, my son looked like me. Y'all, y'all experience that? Yeah, and so because they see, you know, us and them. And so the cool thing is, is there's a great picture of that, that the two have become one and had a child. And so the characteristics and quality of Laurie are in my sons. The characteristics and quality of me are in my sons. So the two have come together and have, they have become one. And that one is reflected in our children. And so for many of you, whenever we look at our kids and we go, you know, and what we do is we always pick out the bad things and say, you know, they act just like you. You know, on the bad stuff. We point that out. On the good stuff, you know, that's my kid right there, and that's me and me right there, you know, if it's a good thing. And so we have to be careful with that. But the thing is, is God's plan is best. So sex is for marriage. So prom- it says in, in Song of Solomon, it says, Promise me, O women of, of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Excuse me, my voice is about to go. <coughs> it says, In a happy marriage, sex is not. So we're going to cover some of that. But here's, here's what I would say. In Song of Solomon, it says, Do not awaken love before it's time. Now, And I would encourage you guys, that's one of the things I want you to do, maybe as homework, if you're a couple, is to read Song of Solomon today or this week. And so I want you to do that. Because when you go in there, you see a great picture of how God views sex and intimacy. And it's a beautiful thing. And so, But throughout that passage or throughout that book, it says, Do not awaken love before it's time. So for like our teenagers who their hormones are going crazy, Man, you know, they're, they're thinking, I need to satisfy this desire that I have within me. You know, it's important for us to encourage them. Hey, listen, there's a reason that it's there so that it will draw you and attract you to the opposite sex. But that is for marriage. 
It's not to be experienced. It's not to be toyed with. It's like a fire. You know, fire is a good thing. And fire can keep us warm. You know, it can do a lot of jobs and tasks for us. But if you let fire get out of control, it'll destroy your home. It'll destroy the forest. It'll destroy thousands of homes. We've seen it in California over and over over the last couple of years. Fire out of control does damage. And I would say this too, that, you know, that sex within the boundaries of marriage is a positive thing. It's needed. It's a beautiful thing. But outside of marriage, it becomes a fire that is out of control. That It leaves wounds. It leaves scars. I can't tell you how many times through the years in counseling where I've had someone come to me and, and they're struggling with something that happened maybe years ago. You know, they had planned. They had said, hey, you know what, I'm going to save myself for marriage and got involved in a relationship and knew they shouldn't have been in that relationship and they gave something away that was for, intended for their spouse. And they struggle with that. So here's the thing. They walk through life with guilt and shame and they tote this around. And that's, that's not God's plan. God wants you to, to, to wait. And there's reasons that He has His rules. You know, it's kind of like with our kids. We say, hey, listen, I don't want you playing out in the road. And they think, well, why? Well, there's cars that get, come, go up and down that road and if you stay in there long enough, you're going to get hit. You know, and so we have rules for, for, for things to, to keep us safe. And so God says, hey, listen, this is a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. It is a bond that is a spiritual bond, but it's intended for marriage, not before. Sex is for marriage and not before. So in a happy marriage, let, you know, sex is a beautiful thing. And, and so it's something that we're to experience. It's something that we're to celebrate. So, but let me, let's talk about a couple things that sex is not uh, before we get, get going there. So the first one, sex is not to be used to control or manipulate your spouse. Sex is not to be used to control or manipulate your spouse. It's not a bargaining chip. And, and too often in our culture, and maybe like I said, this is what your friends do. Maybe this is what your mom did. Maybe this is what your dad did. You use it as a bargaining chip. And I would just say this, that is not God. Does that sound like God? Hey, use this as a bargaining chip. Use this to kind of hold somebody hostage. Use this to... To, you know, to discipline your spouse. That doesn't even sound right. But too often, that's accepted in our culture. Like in the video in the very beginning, you know, it's a, this one view of it, and here's another view of it, and hey, you know what? I, I'm not going to go there, and I'm just going to leverage it because of what I want. And so sex is not to be used to control or manipulate that your spouse. It's not like a reward. Hey, I'll throw you a treat if you do this or if you do that. That's your, if that's the way you do sex, is that's the way you look at it, you're looking at it from the world's view, not God's view. Because God says about blessing your spouse, about meeting the needs of your spouse. So sex is not to be used to control or manipulate your spouse. And then the next one, sex is not a task on a list. It's not a task on a list. You know, it's not one of those things you say, well, all right, let's go ahead and get this over with. That's the worst thing you could say. You know, and it's not like, hey, I, I perform my wifely duty. I took one for the team, if you will. That's the wrong mentality, I'm just saying. You've got to be willing to say, you know what? God, this is a gift. God, this is a celebration. God, this is something spiritual. And the world looks at it as something different. Yeah, and so what we've got to be willing to do is say, you know what? Let, God, help me to view sex within marriage where it is true intimacy. It's not just the act of sex, but it's moving towards the celebration of who, who we are and who you have brought us together to be. And so it's not a task on a list. And then here's another one. Sex is not about you, it's about us. One of the main things that we could learn is that sex is not about me and what I want because what we have a tendency to do is when we start thinking about sex, we think about what makes me feel good. Hey, what I like to see, what I like to enjoy, what I want to experience. And it's not about, hey, what does my spouse need? What do they want? What do they desire? And so too often it becomes about me. 
and we become super selfish. And we'll talk about serving, you know, and how important it is to, you know, die to self and put others first. And, and we'll use that in a lot of areas, except when it comes to the bedroom. Then all of a sudden it's like, hey, in the bedroom, in the marriage bed, it needs to be about what I want, right? It needs to be about what I like. And God is saying, hey, listen, no, it, it, it still applies that we've had to have the mentality, God, I put you first, and then, God, I want to put others before me. And so when we have that mentality, we begin to say, it's not about me and what I want, it's about us. How do we grow closer? How do we become more intimate? How do we go to another level in our intimacy, not just in sex, hey, man, that's the best sex I've ever had, but to where, you know what, we accept each other, we love each other, we care for one another just as we are. And so whenever we begin to let down some of these barriers and we let down some of these things, we begin to open up. And it's about us being better together, not just about what I want or I desire. So in a happy marriage, sex is not, and sex is not bad but beautiful within the boundaries and context of biblical marriage. Let me just say this. I know we've got a lot of singles in the room. So there are singles in here that are wrestling going, Mike, you just don't understand. No, I do understand. And so the thing is, is God understands. God created you. Like I said, He put that passion within you. He put that within you. And you might say, well, how in the world is this, this, this fair? It's not about fair. It's about, being, it's about being righteous and godly. And so too often we want what is fair. But I promise you, we really don't want what is fair. If we got what is fair, then we deserve hell. But instead, God shows His grace and His mercy to us. And, and so I remember years ago, I had a lady who was speaking to our youth. And she was about 70 years old. And she said, hey, I want you guys to understand she goes, hey, there's nothing new. She's talking to the young people. She said, this passion that you're dealing with, this, this uh, you know, the sex that you're desiring. And so she said, it's nothing new. She goes, it's been around for a long time. And uh, she said, and whenever I was younger, we wrestled with the same temptations. She said, the only thing is, is back then, you got married at like 17, 18, and 19 years old. She goes, now we're telling you that you have to finish college and you have to have money in the bank and you have to have a good job and you may even have to have your own place before you can get married so the temptation lifespan is a lot longer. And you think about it, here in America with this American dream, that's kind of what we teach our kids. Hey, you don't need to get married until you've got this and this and this and this. And we're just stretching out this temptation all the more. And we're asking them, hey, you need to stand up and you need to keep yourself pure, but we're not, we're not putting pressure on in, a, in the right way. The thing ought to be, hey, listen, keep yourself pure. And if you can't, then, hey, man, if, if you have met someone that you feel like, hey, this is what I want to spend the rest of my life, then don't feel like you've got to have everything together to do that. And I, I know that's, that's completely opposite to what many of you guys probably have been raised to think. But sex is a beautiful thing within marriage. Beautiful. It's a celebration. God honors it. Outside of marriage, God says, I can't bless you. You know, It's, it's like, hey, listen, if, if you're within here, He said, I can pour out my blessings. I want to honor you. I want to do things you can't even imagine. But when we step outside of those boundaries, He said, I can't. I want to, but I can't. And so what we do is we choose to step out of that and we say, God, will you bless this relationship? He goes, I can't. I told you on the front end, these are the requirements. This is what I will do. And so whenever we choose to say, God, I want to honor you in this relationship by honoring your word, he begins to pour out blessings that we can't even get our mind around. And so God wants to. He wants to bless us. Look at what it says here. It says, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, This one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. 
And this explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are joined into one. And now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Might want to underline that. They felt no shame. Underline that. And so here's the thing is, when we look at that, we go, all right, so God created male and female. He created them both. And so God made them that way. And here's the thing, they were together. There was not sin involved. There was not a worldview. There was not pornography. And there was not social media. And there was not all this garbage. They were saying, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. It was what God had set up within marriage. He officiated the very first wedding. And so God says, hey, within marriage, He goes, enjoy yourselves. He said, man, be fruitful and multiply. And so that's what God's intention is. And so what we do is we, we put our own kind of spin on it, if you will, or we take the world's spin and we put it on there. So sex was introduced in this context of marriage, and it's wonderful, it's fulfilling. And let me just say this, it is needed in a healthy marriage. One of the things that I've shared, are, there's three things that always pop up in marriage counseling. One is a lack of intimacy. If there's a lack of intimacy, you've got problems. If there's a lack of communication... Lack of communication. We talked about communication last week. How important it is to, to talk through things and, and how to, how to, how to uh, go about it the right way. You know, and so we, we talked about it. We even gave you all some healthy rules of engagement as you left here. And the other one is finances. And so finances, communication, and then intimacy are three of the biggest problems in marriages. Hey, we're, we're just, we can't get on the same page. That's communication. You know, we're not on the same page financially, and there's stress. And so the stress begins to erode the, the intimacy. Hey, you know what? And there's no intimacy. Man, we haven't slept together in however long. And then you feel like, well, they don't love me. They've checked out. He doesn't care. And so what happens is, is, is we begin to let those things creep in, and it robs us. It robs our marriage. And so here, and I, I think it's important for us to look back and say, God created the two of them, and He wants them to be a blessing to each other. It's important to communicate. A few, a few years ago, Laura and I were going on a, a, a little getaway. And, uh, and here's the thing. We've got to be willing to do some getaways. We've got to invest in our marriage. And so Laura and I were going to get, go, do a little getaway. And, and so uh, we had gone to some counseling, uh, some Christian counseling. And the guy said, hey, listen, I want you guys to sit down and talk about what would make it a great weekend. I said, all right. So we get together and Laura goes, she goes, I, I asked Laura, I said, hey, what would make it a great weekend for you? She goes, I'd like to be able to lay out on the beach. Uh, she said, I'd like to be able to read a book. She said, I'd like to be able to go shopping maybe uh, a little bit. And uh, she goes, I'd like to go eat at some nice restaurants. I said, oh, we can do that. And she said, well, what would it make it good for you? I said, I'd like to have sex every day. I said, I would like to you know, be able to leave the lights on, see all that God has created. I said, I'd like to see you dress and wear a few certain things that you know, kind of you know, I like. And she was like, okay, we can do that. Man, it was the best weekend ever. And so I'm just saying, but we talked about it. We communicated about it. And, and, you know, and we, we still talk about that weekend. But here's the thing. We, we took some time. We prepared. We, we thought through it. And we, we said, you know what, let's meet each other's needs. Let's, let's seek to meet each other's needs. And so I think it's important for us to say, you know what, God, you gave us each other. God, show us how to minister to each other, to minister to each other's needs. And so, so here it says they, they felt no shame. They were naked, but they felt no shame. So it's okay to leave the light on every once in a while, ladies. You know, don't worry about what the world says. Look at what God's Word says. And then look at what Dr. Kevin Lehman says, he's here, says here. He says, great marital sex. Is about learning to love someone else the way he or she wants to be loved. That, that's great marital sex is whenever you learn to love someone the way that they want to be loved and not about you. It goes back to it not being about you. Look at this one, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 5. Most of you guys probably had this on your, in your house somewhere, this passage. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. 
it goes back to making it not about me, but it's about us. It's not what I want. It's not what feels good to me. It's what, not what I, but it's about us. What makes us good? What makes us intimate? What makes us great together? And so we focus on those things. And so that passage there is that's what love is. Love is saying, God, I want, I, I want what you have for me. Look at this passage here. This is Paul writing. He says, now regarding the questions you ask in your letter, yes, it is good to live a celibate life. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his, wife, over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations, unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say that this is a concession, not as a command, but I wish everyone were single, just as I am. But God gives to some the gift of marriage. You might want to underline that. The gift of marriage and the others the gift of singleness. Now, and let me just say this. You know, Paul is very clear there. You, you have a responsibility to meet the needs of your spouse. Not as, hey, it's my duty. Hey, you know, I, you know I'm just doing it. I'm checking this off the list. It's a task. You know what? You know, he, you know, he wants it again or she wants it again, you know, and, and I don't really feel like it or whatever, but okay. You know, and so it says to meet the need. And the need is more than just the act. To meet the need is to meet the need for intimacy. It's to say, you know, how can we connect in a spiritual, you know, in an emotional, in a relational way and physically? And so it's saying, you know what, how do I give of myself completely to, to my spouse in a way that, you know what, we feel as one? And so here the Scripture is clear. And let me just say this to the singles in the room. Paul, he was single. And I know, like I said, there's many times that we go, all right, well, I'm single, and, man, I hate being single, and I want to be with someone. I get that. And that, that's what McManus was talking about. Erwin was saying, hey, listen, there's a desire within all of us. But the thing is, you've got to be willing to say, hey, God, I'm, I'm waiting on you. And what happens too often is we lower our standards. We don't want to do things God's way, and we choose some loser. You know, whether it's a girl or a guy, we choose that loser, and we say, you know, I don't want to be alone, and we get involved in that relationship, and it's terrible. Rather than saying, God, I want to wait for the best. God, your plan is best, and I trust you. And so I want to encourage you, if you're in the room and you're single, man, to wait on God, to live according to His standard and His plan. And I know it's easy a lot of times, especially if you've been in a, in a marriage and you've been, now you're divorced and you say, well, Mike, you know, I've got kids. You know, hey, listen, I've already had sex. You know, but hey, does it make it okay for you to go out and, and uh, have sex with anybody unless you're married to them? I want to be clear on that. I know it's easy to say, well, you just don't understand, you know, Mike, I, I've got needs. No, God created you. He knows what your needs are. And he says, hey, listen, within the confines of marriage, it's a beautiful thing. Outside of it, it's sin. Outside of marriage, it's sin. And, and, and Jesus made it very clear. There's a couple of things. You know, sex before marriage, sin. Adultery, sin. You know, anything like that is, is sin. And he said, hey, listen, I can't bless it. I want to, but I can't. I want to bless you, but I can't. I won't bless the sin. And so I will say this, too, is Jesus raised the bar when it came to adultery. He said, if you lust after a woman, then you've committed adultery. You say, well, I hadn't touched her. doesn't matter. He says, if you look on her, if you undress her with your eyes, you have committed adultery, and you're guilty of it. And so Jesus raised the bar. And so you might say, well, you know, pornography. All right, that's, that's exactly what Jesus was kind of speaking to there. If you look at another woman that's not your wife, that's, that's sin. And so you've got to be able to say, God, help me to stay focused on 
meeting the needs of my wife, ministering to my wife, and here's the thing, loving her as she is, and not looking everywhere else, but looking to her. And so we've got to be willing to say, you know what? Sex is a celebration of the love that God has given me for my spouse. And it's something I've got to be willing to work towards. And you might say, well, I don't really enjoy it that much. Here's the thing, that's probably a hang-up that comes from way back. And, and maybe it's because it's been more about an act than it was anything else. And I say, I'm not acting like I'm acting. I'm saying, hey, you know, it's all about the sex act, and let's get this off the list. But it should be moving towards intimacy. And so let's, let's kind of take a look at this. Five keys to the best sex ever. Now, anybody that's in the room... They say, you know what? Hey, that sounds good. I, I need those. I met. We had a great chili cook-off this past Thursday night. We had about fifty-something men there, and I asked the guys, "How many guys enjoy having sex with your wife?" And every one of them raised their hand. So, ladies, I want you to know, they were like, "Hey, I enjoy it." And, and I said, "How many guys would like to have the best sex ever?" And they were, they raised their hands. So I challenged them to be here, and I, I wanted them to hear what we're talking about today. So hopefully, you'll get to go home and apply some of these biblical truths that we're talking about today. That's a good thing. That's a God thing. Somebody said, well, Mike, you're going to keep it G-rated? I said, I am. It's, G- it's God-rated. You know, so here's the thing. So we're all up in this. So look at this. It says, when we ignore another person's beauty and all that God made them to be, intimacy is lost. You want intimacy? Then start picking your spouse apart. Start picking out what you don't like about them. Start, start speaking death over them. And you'll lose intimacy. It says, intimacy flows out of feeling wholly accepted just the way we are. Intimacy flows out of being loved and accepted the way that I am. But if I don't feel like I ever measure up and I'm never good enough, then intimacy loses. It, it, it falls out. And so I just want to speak that to you guys, and I hope you hear that. That if we always find something wrong with our spouse, intimacy is draining out of the relationship. But whenever we begin to look and we begin to focus on those things that are praiseworthy, those things that are positive, and we begin to speak life over them and we encourage them, and we say, God, help me to see the things that my wife is doing. Help me to see the things that my husband is doing. The God that I need to focus on. And you begin to speak life over them. You begin to affirm them and encourage them. You're saying, you know what you're doing? You're building intimacy. And so let's look at the five keys to the best sex ever. Number one is dying to self. It's when we seek to meet our spouse's needs. If we say, hey, you know what? It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about what I like. It's not, but it's, hey, it's meeting each other's needs. And here's the thing. If both of you are doing the same thing, that is a competition towards submission where you're saying, hey, how do I meet their needs? And the two are coming together as one. And, and you're dying to self, and it's about how do I meet their needs? How do I make them feel loved? How do I let them know that, you know what, I accept them wholly, completely, just as they are? So dying to self is a key the best sex ever here's the next one exclusivity knowing you're the one and only knowing that you're the one and only that whenever you look at your spouse you communicate you know what you are the only one i love my heart is for you i am committed i am sold out you are who i want to spend the rest of my life with and so you you make it about this one person not about everybody you know but hey but you make it about them and your wife feels like you know what? i'm the i'm his one and only your husband feels like i'm her one and only and it makes it, you know, that begins to build intimacy. Because that exclusivity begins to build it, move into this trust. Whenever you feel like you're the one and only and you have conveyed that and you know that, there's trust built. And great sex begins with great trust. So great trust is built day by day and it multiplies with consistency. So day by day you're taking steps to build trust into a relationship. You know, we talk about it all the time that trust is, is, is earned, it is built 
It's kind of like making little deposits into a banking account. You know, there are times that you make a dumb decision or you do something, you say something, and, you, and there's a trust withdrawal. You know, there's a major withdrawal. And some of you are overdrawn. Your spouse doesn't trust you at all. But whenever you begin to make little deposits, you honor your word, you do what you can to help out, you know, and you build them up, you speak life over them, you encourage them, you're building trust, you're building trust, you're building trust, which builds intimacy. And so the more that there's trust, the more that there's trust and confidence in the relationship, the better the relationship will be. And it's built day by day. And here's the thing is, as it builds, it multiplies. It's like compound interest in in, in an account. It builds and builds, and then it gets to the point there's freedom, there's trust. And then there's time. It takes time, uh, me, maybe even days of preparing for great sex. If you, you, know, you know, and I had a, a, a couple come in and teach, and I may have them come in this year for our marriage conference, and they were talking about there's different types of, um, of I guess, get-togethers, if you want to call it that. But anyway, said so some, you know, kind of like, you know, you get hungry, you go through a drive-thru. So that's kind of quick. So you have these quick get-togethers. And uh, that might be you come home from lunch and say, hey, honey, I'm home for lunch. Like, what you want to do? You know, you want to talk or what? You know, so, so anyway, so you go home for a quick snack, if it's what they call it. It says a snack. And then you have what you call the full course meal where, dude, you go all out. It's all out. You have planned well. There may be rose petals on the floor. I don't know. But anyway, you have gone all out and you have planned and you have put some time into preparing for this. So time is of the essence Sometimes it's a quick time together, and then sometimes it's a planned out, and it takes time of preparing and thinking through and, and, you know, and, and setting the, the mood and the tone and, and everything of, of that week. And, and maybe it's even the little things that you do throughout that week that whenever you get to the weekend, you're both looking forward with anticipation to celebrating the love that you both have, have shown and lived out all week long. And so, so that's an important one. So time, it takes... Maybe even days of preparing. And then the last one here, romance. Romance should not be dead. But man, whenever we're, we look into Scripture, we see romance throughout Scripture. It's all, it's all in there, especially in Song of Solomon. Man, it, it's, it's powerful. So romance, maybe write notes. You know, one of the things that uh, when Laurie and I first got married, uh, I, would, I would go to work and she, she would make a lunch for me and she would put a note in that lunch. That was one of my favorite things. And so... You would always build a little bit, like you'd read it at lunch. You're like, man, I can't wait to get home and see her, you know. And uh, she don't do that anymore. I wish she would. But anyway, y'all tell her if you will. But, uh, but anyway, so writing a note, you know, a love letter. Back whenever people used to do this, but you would write a letter. Man, you'd read that love letter over and over and over. You might even underline a few things, and you might keep all of them. When Laurie was in uh, Zimbabwe, Africa, she was a missionary. And we kind of fell in love, really, while she was in Africa and I was here. And she would write these letters, and man... Uh, you know, and I would write her letters because and, and to talk on the phone costs so much. And so we would write letters back and forth, and we still have all of those letters. And so I would just say, maybe write a letter and talk about what you, you know, looking forward to and what you appreciate in your spouse, but romance them. Maybe get them a card or something like that. Uh, send a gift. You know, send flowers. You know, some, some ladies like flowers. You know, send them flowers just out of the blue. Catch them off guard. Now, some ladies don't like flowers. They feel like it's a waste of money. Send them some food. They like food. You know, and, uh, you know, but do something like that or bring them a gift home or, or, or do something. Get them a massage, you know, somewhere, you know, or, or something like that. Send them to the spa for the day. And then uh, get the door. You know, one of the things, guys, that, you know, is uh, a little chivalry. You know, just catch the door for them. Take care of them. You know, make them feel like a queen. Make them feel like they're cherished. You know, and, and do everything you can to make them feel loved. And so little things like that, little things that compliment. You know, tell them, you know, uh, what they how beautiful they are to you. And I would just say this too. 
And this is something you have to be careful with. Learn the five love languages. Learn what their love language is. Like, I'm bad about telling Lori how pretty she is or how much I love, because I, I, my love language is words of affirmation. So I use my love language on Lori, and she's like, thanks, appreciate it. You know, and it doesn't really mean that much, but for her, if I go in and I help with the dishes or I help with the clothes or I go pick up the groceries, that says, hey, I love you to her. Because her love language is acts of service. So we have to learn each other's love language. So learning that. So get in the door, get them a massage, and get away. You know, plan a time away. Like I said, Lori and I did that, and we still do that. We try to kind of st- stagger it throughout the year to where we can get away, and it's just the two of us. And, uh, you know, if you take your kids, that's called a trip. A vacation is when you don't take kids and it's just the two of you to get away. Maybe it's a getaway. But, uh, but plan some time for that. But you have to be intentional about that. But romance each other. You did it. Here's the thing. That's part, part, part of what you did when you were dating is you were pursuing each other and you were romancing each other. And then what happens a lot of times is we get into a marriage relationship and it all ends. Like, well, I've got him or I've got her. And now they're stuck with me type mentality rather than romancing each other and pursuing each other and chasing after each other. And so I think it's important for us to do those things. And then one of the questions that often comes up, and it's not in here, uh, but, you know, hey, Mike, how often should you have sex? I get that asked that sometimes in, in counseling. I think it depends on the couple. You know, hey, what works for you guys? Now, once a month is ridiculous. Something's wrong with you. If that's the only time you do it, it's once a month. But I would say this, that there needs to be a consistent meeting of each other's needs, just like Paul said in Scripture. Meet each other's needs. And here's the thing. If you're, ch- if you're dialed into your spouse, you'll know when the needs are there. You know, there, there's, there's, there's little jokes, you know, like, hey, send in the signals. You know, and, and I'll joke with Laura. She'll walk by, hey, you send in signals? You know, I just, you know, because we always want to make sure you're listening, right? You may pay attention. But you send signals. You begin to flirt a little bit with each other. And I think it's important to, hey, you know, if that need is there, meet each other's need. Don't make them feel like, you know what, I can't ever get any satisfaction at home. So then they start listening and looking. Who else is sending signals? That's how affairs and stuff begin. Meet the needs at home according to God's Word. But you know, you know, it just needs to be with whatever you and your spouse feel like. Hey, this is the we're meeting each other's needs. Here's the other thing I would say: when it comes to intimacy, we talked about this earlier. There's no one more into intimacy than God is. Look at this passage. But God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, He sees us as we are. He sees us in our brokenness. See, He knows the wounds that I'm toting around. He knows the things that I've done in the past. He knows the thoughts that I've thought. He knows the thoughts that I'll think before I even think them. He knows the things that I'll say before I even say them. He knows everything about you. And here's the thing, He still loves you. And what a great model for our spouse and for me to have towards my spouse. That no matter what I know about her, I still love her. No matter what you know about Him, you still love Him. And so the very model that we see in Christ is that when we were still sinners, when we were broken, when we were messed up, we didn't have it all together. He loved us enough to go to the cross for us, to lay down His life, to be a servant, to be a sacrifice. And so I would just say this to you. Maybe in your marriage, you don't view your marriage that way, the way that God views us. But I think that's God's intention. Over and over we see the bride and the groom. The bride being the church of uh, the church. The bride of Christ, Jesus being the groom. Marriage is in there over and over and over. And I think it's important for us to realize, you know, that how we live out our marriage is part of our witness. It's part of our testimony. And it's part of our walk with Christ. So understand this, the powerful sex drives that we have within us, powerful passions that we have within us, 
the desires, the hungers that God has put within us, those come from God. But they're meant to be within the boundaries of God's Word. And, and I would say this too. If it comes from God, we're created in His image, if it comes from God, then let God be honored in those things. And I'll just say this, that He pursues you way more than we've ever pursued our spouse. He pursues you. He wants a relationship with you. and He wants to love you. He wants to bless you. And He wants to do things for you. Look, here's a couple of next steps for me today. I'll read Song of Solomon with my spouse this week. That, that's a steamy writing. I mean, they, they describe each other. You know, they talk about each other. Here, here's the beautiful thing about Song of Solomon. You get to see them, you know, kind of romancing each other, you know, uh, you know, I guess affirming each other and talking about each other and the qualities of each other. And then they describe each other's bodies and how good they look. You know, you know he even talks about, you know, she's got teeth. You know, she's got all of them. She's got a twin. She's got all of her teeth. That's a good thing. You know, and, and it talks about her breasts. He talks about everything about her. You know, she talks about him being a stud and a stag. I mean, it's, it's really a, a beautiful uh, picture. That they're, man, they're enamored with each other. And then you, you pretty much get to, you know, in a, through a word picture, get to see them have sex. I mean, they, they have intimacy. They're, they're intimate with one another. And then, you know, they kind of get through a squad and they have to kind of come back together again. And so it's a beautiful thing. And I would encourage you to look back at it and maybe think about some things that you could say to your spouse. Maybe when you write that note, say, man, I'm going to go back to Song of Solomon and draw from what they wrote. You know, and, and so, again, in marriage, enjoy each other. Enjoy everything together. You know, I mean, in there he talked about, hey, browse among the lilies. Enjoy each other. Enjoy the garden. In other words, enjoy all the fruits. And it says, hey, enjoy each other. Your bodies are not something to hold back from each other, but to give to one another in a celebration of the love that God has given you for one another. And it says, I will put my relationship, second step, I will put my relationship with Christ first and choose to love and serve my spouse in a way that honors God's Word. Let me, let me tell you what I mean by that. That you put Christ first in your life. You go, you know what? I submit, surrender. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I've been following a pattern that really lines up with the world. God... I want your pattern. When it comes to sex, when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to marriage, I'm tired of what the world is saying is okay. God, I want what you want. God, I want what you desire. And I will love and serve my spouse. So that's a choice that you make today. And hopefully, here's the thing, you make that choice every day. But here's, here's what I say that lines up with God's Word. You know, This morning on the way here, I passed by a bar. 6.30 in the morning, I passed by. And I look over and my son was with me. I said, man, that's crazy. You know, that place is packed out. And here's the thing, either they all went home with other people and maybe they're trying the world's pattern or maybe they're still sitting in that bar and they're drowning their sorrows at 6.30 in the morning. And I'm thinking, how, it breaks my heart for them. It's not that I want to shame them or belittle them. I'm just saying it breaks my heart for them because God's plan is best and they're searching, they're seeking. You know, and so what we've got an opportunity to do is to reach out to the people that are still searching and still seeking and say, Hey, man, I found truth, and I found freedom, and I found God's Word, and I found, I found hope, and I found what love really is. And I want to share it with you. And so we, as believers, we owe that to them. And then this last one, I, personally, I will choose to view sex as God sees it and not as this world sees it. That's a choice. Now, you know what? I won't be driven by the latest you know, uh, chick flick that's out. I won't be driven by the latest pornography that somebody shows me. I won't be driven by the latest, you know, TV show. But I'll be driven by what God's Word says and what it teaches. And here's the thing. 
I will, I will explore you know, God's Word to find out how I can be a better lover to my spouse. And maybe if you're single, you say, you know what? I will choose to honor God's Word. And I will save myself until marriage. I will save myself for my spouse-to-be. So I just want to encourage you to take one of those steps today. I think any of these would be good. And one of the things I would encourage the couples in the room today. You can hear some of this. You can elbow each other. You can laugh a little bit. But this is what I would challenge you to do. Is go home and dialogue about it. Go home and maybe go on a date tonight. I told our life group tonight. I said, hey, I want to challenge you. Use tonight as as a date night. Maybe go sit across the table from each other and talk about what God is doing in you. Talk about what you're willing to change. Talk about what you're willing to die to. And talk about your dreams, desires of what your marriage could be. But here's the thing is we don't talk about things. We don't ever get to really communicate what it could be and what, we, what we're wanting. Like Laurie and I, we talked about what we wanted the weekend to be like and it was the best ever. Your marriage could be the best ever. But you've got to be willing to work at it. You've got to be willing to die to some things. And ultimately, the most important thing is you've got to have Jesus front and center. He's got to be first. There may be some of you here today, you've never put your faith in Christ. You, you, you're trying church. Maybe you're just checking this out. But, I mean, until Jesus Christ is in the center of your life, until He is the reason that you live, until He is the one that you serve, your marriage will never be what you want it to be. You'll never be able to love people, especially your spouse, the way that God wants you to love them unless you have the power of God and the Spirit of God living within you. You just can't. It's supernatural love. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just maybe just some time between you and God. You say, God, I want to ask you to forgive me for viewing sex based on this world's view. God, I want to look at sex the way that you look at it, as something that's beautiful. There's something that within marriage... God, it's something spiritual. God, I want to honor you in that area of my life if you're married. If you're single, maybe you just need to confess to God, I want to ask you to forgive me. Maybe you've already crossed the line. You've already got wounds. Man, you haven't been honoring God in that area of your life. You just say, God, I want to ask you to forgive me. But God, I want to save myself until I meet the right person. And then God, I want to honor you in that arena of my life. There may be some of you in this room, you're toting wounds around. And you've been wounded by sex or intimacy. And it's hard for you to even consider it being a blessing. Man, I, I want to encourage you to open up your heart and say, God, I need you to heal me. God, I need you to heal me so that I can be whole, so I can, I can be a blessing to my spouse. It may take counseling. It may take some help. But you can get there. Maybe there's some of you here today, you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never been saved. You've never been changed from the inside out. And so for you, you know, you know what? My greatest need today is, man, I need Jesus Christ in my life. And I want to I help you with that. And it may, it's, it's as simple as this. to say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus, I believe that you can save me. And so, Jesus, I want to ask you to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive me. 
I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've blown it big time. I said, Jesus, will you forgive me? His answer is yes. Jesus, I want to quit living the way I've been living. That's repentance. And when we repent, then here's the thing. He washes us clean. He makes us as white as snow. And there may be some of you in this room that you're thinking, man, Mike, I don't feel clean. He will clean you. He will cleanse you. He will wash you as white as snow. You might say, well, Mike, I'm not a virgin anymore. It's okay. From this point forward, you can say, you know what? I want to be a virgin from this point forward until the day I get married. I'm going to save what I have left until I am married. And so spiritually, become renewed. This is what I love about Scripture. It says that God gives us a new heart. A new heart. We, any, if any man is in Christ, he is a new, uh, he, he is, he's made new. He's been transformed. He's a new creation. And so maybe today that is your decision. Jesus, I want you to come in and change me. Save me. And you become a new creation, a new person. If you made that decision, we want you to share it with us. We want to celebrate that with you. Father, I pray for, I pray for the people that are in this room. God, I pray for the ones that are wounded maybe from sex or intimacy being abused. God, I pray for healing for them today. I pray for a process that begins that maybe involves counseling, but God, I pray for healing, true healing, where they can be a blessing to their spouse and they can be able to enjoy all that you created them to enjoy. God, I pray for the marriages that are in this room. God, maybe that they've been manipulating sex, they've been using it as a, as a bargaining piece. God, I pray that that would stop today. I pray that there would be a change of mind, change of heart, God, I pray for, I pray for uh, Lord Father, just to, uh, the couples that are in this room to have a, a biblical view of marriage, not the world's view. And God, I pray for some of those, maybe those images and some of those things that we thought were intimacy that are wrong. I pray that you begin to cha- transform our mind, our thinking. As Romans 12 says, God, that we, we could be transformed and our mind be renewed by your word. And God, I pray for those that have put their faith in you today. God, I pray that they know without a shadow of a doubt that you live within them. And God, they realize you have been adopt- they have been adopted into your family. And God, they become your child. So Father, thank you for meeting with us today. And God, as we talk about this, which seems so taboo in church, talk about sex, God, we realize it is a gift from you that is intended to be a celebration of our love for our spouse. God, help us to view it that way. In Jesus' name, amen.